Well, hello, all you regenerative agriculture fans out there. Today, I am talking with Clay Greenberg at ACTS, Decentralized Real Estate and Genesis Homesteads. He is the head of franchising in a fast-growing, brand-new type of planned, modern homesteading community. And they have some audacious goals, as well as an innovative model for operations and profitability. Clay talks about his travels across the USA, working at different farms, doing different things, and all the stuff he learned along the way. We will hear about how he's actually inspiring kids to want to be ranch hands and ranchers and hear his advice to young people who are looking to enter this space, starting a meaningful career, and even his approach to education in the area of regenerative agriculture. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, a shepherdess and owner at Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. Raising hair sheep, dairy goats, and a whole lot more, we encourage, educate, and entertain those who long to become regenerative farmsteaders, ranchers, farmers, and help them launch agricultural projects and achieve success. On this podcast, we hear tales from others to help you accelerate your own successful venture, no matter how big or small, because I believe in a future of interconnected small farms being the backbone of a resilient local food supply chain. Clay's enthusiasm is contagious and the nuggets of wisdom fly thick and fast in this interview. So buckle in and get ready to take notes for your future as a farmer, rancher, or homesteader. And now enjoy the interview. Okay. All right, we live. We're live. Welcome, Clay. Thanks for having me, Judith. Excited <laughs> to be here. So I'm Clay, and I am a first-generation farmer. I'm from Massachusetts, and I went to study down in North Carolina at Elon University. And, you know, I was, I was very in love with nature, and I wanted to find ways to heal the environment. And I started getting educated on how industrial food systems were pretty bad for the environment. And that kind of is how I first came around. I was like, oh, I want to save the environment. I started taking environmental science classes and agroecology. And I just had a few professors that really inspired me. One, Professor Robert Charest, um, did sustainable design and he would he would build farms for the communities you know we went over in Chapel Hill and we built a working farm a flower farm for young adults with autism to run the farm and we built all the infrastructure and we'd use passive solar and double glazed windows and all this cool stuff and I had a professor Steve Moore who he would do a lot of biointensive gardening so I ended up managing our school's farm where we was uh, biointensive. So maximizing production per space while maintaining optimal uh, ecological balance. So, and uh, Burlington, North Carolina was a very food insecure place. So I was, had the opportunity to grow a ton of nutrient dense food for that community and for my school dining hall. And just having hosting a lot of educational opportunities with class as an intern. So I got just super into it in college. I realized, you know, this is the creative path forward. Like all these things that I'm sad about and pollution and environmental destruction. I'm like, I can stop it through regenerative agriculture and sustainable design. So when I um, graduated, I went on a couple of different adventures and, I went for to work for a woman named Winona LaDuke and we were trying to do activism to stop oil pipelines from going in there underneath their rivers because they would, you know, kill all their sturgeon and rice. And, but we did a lot of cool, we would take old uh, potato monocultures and that were just ridden, you know, tilled and just no more nutrients. We plant hemp fiber and grow fiber to pull out all the toxins and re re by remediate the soil and they make that into flooring and we did cool stuff with horses and maple trees. But so that was always a fun adventure with her. And then, you know, I've just worked on farms all over the place, grazed sheep in Idaho, uh, grew some more vegetables in Florida. And, and then I spent a little time over in California with Apricot Lane Farm as um, working the farmer's markets. And that was a lovely opportunity because they just have 
such a big team and it's just such a lively culture and well, they on, do a lot. I say, hold on, hold on. I need to talk a little bit about Apricot Lane Farms because I think a lot of people might not recognize the name of the farm so much as they recognize the movie that came from the farm, which was yeah. Biggest Little Farm, right? Yeah, The Biggest Little Farm. And it's, That's Apricot it's Lane. funny because I think that movie really helped inspire a big movement to the homestead, homesteading culture. Oh, yeah. So it's funny that now I'm working with Axe and Genesis and I feel like a lot of the people buying in, it's like might have watched The Biggest Little Farm and that's what inspired them to buy in. So I'm kind of go- going off of their educational inspiration, but working there was awesome. They they had a great um, fertility team, like what they do with the soil inoculation and the compost te- teas is like next level. And they do a lot of holistic grazing with their sheep and Wagyu cows and fully diversified, amazing experience. Um, and then, you know, I, I wandered back to Minnesota because they're like family there and spent another winter in the cold. And I did a little farming in Vermont, just some organic farming there. And um, I just found my way to act serendipitously. I was kind of looking for my next big calling and I found TJ on Instagram and I just see, you know, this man saying, we're going to build a bunch of homestead off-grid homesteads and regenerative farms and i can see his soul just projecting you know his light through the through the camp through the instagram i'm like wow this guy's really got a lot of light to share and then i go i'm sorry tj so tj is the ceo of axe yes so tj is the ceo of axe (laughs) and so i saw him on instagram Mm -hmm. and i go onto the website and i'm gonna apply and be like hey let me help you guys build all these farms and homesteads. And I see that my old friend, Liam, who's the founder, CEO of Genesis Homesteads, he was a old childhood friend of mine who we had crossed paths as kids. I used to actually hear him playing music in the woods as I was playing soccer. He would be in the forest with his friends playing guitar. And I would always hear him. And I went out there a couple of times and hung out with them and, uh, So I knew of him and we had been acquaintances. So I reached out and said, Hey, I'd like to help you guys build farms. I actually know Liam from childhood. And they were like, cool. Like, and you know, give me an interview. And they're like, wow, you're actually have quite the resume. Like, do you want to come out to Texas? And I was like, yeah, I'll I'll get the next flight. And I came out to Texas (laughs) and I actually lived with TJ and his wife, Juliana and their chubby little baby, John. And then uh, I became the uncle, (laughs) uncle Clay. And uh, it was great. I helped with designs for, we basically just designed these systems to be very innovative, like bringing together different systems of holistic livestock management, you know, rotational grazing and uh, permaculture design and food forest guilds and key line design with digging swales along the contours. And we have even some mushroom propagation plans, some market garden plans, um, and just creating these really low maintenance systems using technology. You know, we got a milker that milks 80 cows in an hour and 40 goats in an hour. And we, we will use, really automate our systems um, to make it manageable. But and just having these low input to no input regenerative systems and we'll do soil we're doing soil inoculation and cover cropping and all the good stuff so it's just been a dream come true honestly being able to do this work because you know i really did spend a lot of time actually kind of struggling because when i first wanted to study agriculture everyone kind of laughed at me like everyone i told i'd be like yeah studying sustainable agriculture and they're like why why would you want to be a farmer you're like aren't you gonna go be a finance guy or something and i'm i was like no because this is what we have to do because this is a solution you know i saw that alan savory is really the one fighting climate change he's that's what's sequestering the most carbon is these prairies and from grazing so i knew it was what i had to do but i spent so i spent a lot of few years like working for not much pay and just kind of getting by just to learn the skills I needed to learn to do this. And now I've finally gotten to a point where I'm lucky to be in a company with a really good culture where they, they value their employees based on the value they create. And TJ has just 
really empowered me in that way. So I'm now the director of ranch operations. So now I'm in the position where I can bring ranch hands to come work for us. And they're going to be moving here, moving in in a couple of weeks. And I'll be training them on how to, how to move, move the paddocks. And we'll be putting up greenhouses and building chicken tractors. And it's just been a blast. So I'm just going to keep riding it out as long as possible. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. So can you can you kind of back up and talk a little bit about what Axe Real Estate is? What's the concept behind this company for the people who haven't heard about it? You're kind of new on the scene. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about the concept mm -hmm. and and you know your mission and your goals? Yes. So the mission to build heaven on earth. <laughs> so pretty big goal. Wow. But um that's audacious. <laughs> bit, but basically <laughs> what we do is We'll take a big piece of land, say a thousand acres, cut it up into 110 acre homesteads, sell each piece of land to a family, normally a family with small kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are Christian and feeling called by God, but because we are Acts based off the book of Acts in the Bible and Genesis based right, off the book of right, Genesis. Right. But, you know, there's plenty of other people. I mean. I come from a half Jewish background. We have Jewish people and all sorts of diverse crowd, but mm -hmm. primarily mostly Christians with small kids too. They want to homeschool their kids. They don't want their kids in school and these schools getting taught. They want their kids to learn real skills and they want to have their access to their own food and have access to guns and just feel safe and self-sufficient that's mainly our crowd that we get and they want to be involved too but they know that they can't they they don't they don't expect that they'd be able to succeed at it you know without us they know they need help so that's why we also offer franchising so it's basically like we sell the homesteads and we sell the land but also people can franchise so they can additionally pay us a, a fee and then we run an entire shared herd across all the properties and we create food. We install food for us on all the properties. So we're running a productive regenerative farm and we do all the marketing, all the distribution for them. And then they get a cut of the profit. They get about two thirds. So these people can actually make a, make enough money to even pay their loans on their land. So it's kind of like a dream come, th come true for a lot of people because a lot of people, these people, they're, they want to get out of the cities and they want to raise their kids on a farm, but they don't really know how. A lot of them we talk to have been looking for land for so long and just can't find affordable land and don't, maybe they found it, but they're like, I don't want to do it alone or like, I can't, I don't know how to milk a cow. So mm -hmm. we basically say it's a one-stop shop. We're like, here you go. We'll give you your off-grid homesteads of your dreams, your working regenerative farm you'll get and you're our business partner now and that's and you're part of our community that's really cool because the traditional model is that people with land who aren't going to be farming it will rent it out to the farmer or the rancher they'll rent it out so you'll get you know a tax break on your uh property taxes because and then you you know your your rent of your land that the farmer then has to pay but you've swapped you've you've reversed the model where they actually, the landowner actually pays you and they buy into the profit sharing. So is this like a co-op? Uh, kind or of. They... I mean, it's one brand. So it's all it's all under Axe um, Wanted Raw Foods. So it's Wanted Raw and Uncensored is the name of our food brand. So we have a website called Wanted Raw Foods. So it'll all be marketed and distributed off that brand. And it'll all be the same quality. It's not like vital mm -hmm. farms where you have a hundred different farms, right? It's, it's all going to be under our systems that are designed by Genesis and operated under me under the ranch hand league. So it is, um, it is somewhat of a co-op, but it's also kind of one business that we're all partnering in. And the way I, I see it, it's like, well, yeah, they, they buy in, right. But they're not just, buying in it's not a typical franchise where they're just buying the name no they're buying in and we're using that money for the animals for so it's people can all pool their resources together and we can 
get these farms going and pay for the fencing and the the water and everything. So then instead of there being renting and money, it's really just us all sharing the profit after that. So legally speaking, is it structurally, like legal structure speaking, is it investment into a venture or are, do they become part like partners on in like an LLC or something like that from profit sharing? I think it'd be more of an investment, but honestly, I shouldn't speak on that stuff because I'm okay. not really well versed. I don't really take Sorry. care of anything. I, to, I don't even I really talk about, I know people is, I don't really like, yeah. I'm just the farm guy. Like I'm not even going <laughs> to do any of the marketing. Like TJ's the marketing mm -hmm. guy. Cause he, he is an incredible marketer. And that's why I trust him so much. Cause it's like, as far, I think the two things that keep farmers from being profitable are marketing and inputs. So that's true. I can I can run systems with low to no inputs using mm -hmm. ecological approach, God's inputs, but only TJ is an incredible marketer and only 7% of farmers are going direct to consumer with their product. So basically, I just got to make sure that we grow some really good nutrient dense food in a way that heals the land and, and enhances it. And then TJ and the mark, the wanted raw foods takes care of the rest, want, uh, gives it off and they can, they can deal with the contracts and all that boring stuff. I could, I could care less. I'm just happy to be, you know, hanging out with the cows and planting seeds. <laughs> <laughs> so where are all of these different communities located? Are they, have they been built yet? Or are they in process? Yeah. So this is our first one here in East Texas. We're right between Houston and Dallas with Austin a little further West. Mm -hmm. So it's a great location, subtropical climate, beautiful kind of pine trees and but lots of rain and water and sandy and clay soil. Mm -hmm. um, and this is our first ranch called Little G Ranch. And um, we have a few under contract, two in Tennessee around Columbia, Nashville, one in central Florida, Sebring, uh, right between, oh, sorry, I was, I'm fidgeting, but um, right between Tampa, West Palm, and Orlando, right in the middle. So those are our three under contract, but we have a ton more on underway. As soon as we close on those three, we're, we're just going to expand as fast as possible and try to, because the demand is there. We have so many what we do is people can reserve a parcel mm -hmm. so they can put in five grand, say, here's my reservation fee, go toward the land. And next time you guys get some land in this state. So we already have communities like we have online forums where people are talking with the people who are going to be their neighbors. And so we're just going to be everywhere pretty soon. So you're in three states already. You said Tennessee, Florida, and Texas. Yep. So Texas, Tennessee, Florida, mm -hmm. underway, under contract. And then and then it'll be North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, California, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. And you just you just rattled off eleven states. Like how what what is the do you guys already have this land or is it those are your targeted areas or like this is this is happening it's it's expanding that quickly there's this much yeah those are demand? the target areas so um oh we yep we don't have we only have uh these four under this one property is fully closed i okay. live here we a bunch of us live here the roads are almost done the, the high-speed internet fiber optic cables are getting installed mm -hmm. So we're, we're about to even put up some modular houses soon. Next few weeks, we'll have ranch hands here. So we're pretty much rolling here. We got cows, goats, chickens, dogs. But the next two, the next three are very soon, right around the corner. Next couple of weeks, we'll be closing. And after that, it's then we start to hone in on those other places I mentioned. So what's the turnaround time between the, the, the sale of the parcel versus and then when the uh, residents move in? It depends on them. So one one woman is already living in the little lake house. She's like moving in, coming on weekends. You know, some of them are going to put up a little A-frame right away. We partner with companies that do really easy modular houses that just ship mm -hmm. in six weeks. And then we'll even the ranch and team will put it up for them. Oh. So some people want to just come out right away and just come be in it and they'll they'll get out here as soon as they close but other people 
will take a little longer. They'll stay in the city, keep working their jobs until they can build a nice home and comfortably move out. Uh, but we do, re- it's a requirement that they m- build a home within three years of closing. Because we don't want just an investors. We we're building community. We want people yeah, yeah, that, that want sense. to be a part of it and raise yeah. their kids here. So mm-hmm. we don't like, it's a good investment. We get a lot of people who are just like, can I buy 10 franchises? Can I buy 10 parcels? And they, they start asking so much about money. And I'm like, look, man, you need to readjust your intentions here. We are actually building heaven on earth. Like we are building a community where we can live together in harmony, not just a place where we're not just, yes, there will be plenty of abundance, but that's not the primary goal here. Flipping homesteads. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do no homestead flippers allowed. Okay. That ain't us. So from a farming perspective, I sorry, I didn't mean to get like down the, the, down the lane okay. in the real estate area, but from a farming perspective, you're, you're, this is quite an audacious goal here to have um, this sustainable agricultural system up and running in a short amount of time. Like Mother Earth, don't turn on a dime, right? Yeah. So this yeah. land that you're acquiring, it could be what woods, um, depleted farmland, and then you've got to turn it into uh, lush grazing land. What, what does that look like? What's that process like? Yeah. So I think that you have to find your niche. Every ecosystem provides something, mm-hmm. right? I've been in the high desert on barren soil in Idaho, but you got a bunch of sagebrush grown. You could go harvest sage and sell sage bundles. They sell for like 20 bucks at the farmer's markets. <laughs> so every, there's so all this yapon holly, we could harvest yapon holly and sell caffeinated coffee substitutes. But you know, most people are, they say, okay, when can we do cows? When can you do this? And you, you need to be patient, right? You, you can't, we're doing regenerative farming. I tell people, we're not going to overbear the ecosystem. There is a capacity. Yes, it'll increase over time as we holistically graze and cover crop, but you need to be patient. But there's tons we can do right now. Right now, we have about two, 300 acres of forest. We could throw hundreds of goats into and start grazing goats and pigs through these forests. They're just been untouched. So we're really blessed where our lands are pretty good land. We don't just buy up any rundown land. It's so it's not the biggest I've seen worse in restoration endeavors. Like when I was working in Minnesota on the mm-hmm. potato hemp operations, but we'll do goats and pigs and we're chickens and lighter weight, dairy, cattle, sheep, but it takes a lot. We got to inoculate the soil. We got to restore the fungal microbial life into the soil. We have to sow cover annual cover crop seeds to fix nutrients and aerate the soil and create biomass. And we have to holistically graze it. And we have to do a lot of permaculture design. We have to dig along the key lines. We have to make compost. We have to plant fruit and nut trees. So luckily we're attracting the resources where we can make this happen. I mean, I've seen, I've seen crazy stuff like in Chicago where they take a parking lot and turn it into a garden. <laughs> they truck in a bunch of compost. Luckily we won't have to do that, but cause we have so much on our land, but yeah, we're going to have to do some transmutation, bring some, some, wood chips from the trees they took down to build the roads and make that into compost to build the put the food forest around the contour lines around the swales so we'll have to dig these ponds and introduce a bunch of aquatic vegetation and fish and build the floating farms and there's a lot of work to be done but i think that with the amount of resources we're gathering and the teams we're building it's going to be no problem because it's like you know, building, building a home, you can like, people think, oh, building contractors, you, you got to build a home, it's going to take years. <laughs> yeah, if you have, you know, one lazy contractor who wants to just drag it along <laughs> and charge you a fortune. But you ever seen Amish folks build a home? Amish folks will build a barn in about a day, <laughs> they'll all <laughs> come together as a community and they'll do it. So that's what we're, we're going for. We, we have the blueprint. We have the design. We got the team coming in. We got the resources coming our way. So that's what it is. It's the body of Christ coming together 
And when that happens, you can you can work a lot faster when you work as a team with a strong with a strong foresight, strong direction. Wow, that's it's very inspiring stuff. Now, a lot of people talk about the difficulty of getting actual labor to show up at the site and the work ethic and sourcing the people. Um, talk to me how about how like from a farming perspective, how do you, how are you bringing in people, you know, able body at this age to it's, want to do this? They didn't grow up. It's so people. I someone said that to me last night in my Q and A because everyone's like, "Good luck getting workers." No one wants to work, and uh, I really think it's because we openly say that we're doing this for God. It's because of our mission, because we're acts and because we say, yes, this is, we're building heaven on earth. We want to do God's work. We want to create these off-grid homes as the Christian communities. Because we do that, mm -hmm. it attracts amazing people come through the woodworks. I get applications every day from people. I was called by God to do this. I'm a carpenter. I'm a welder. I'm a mechanic, but like, I want this for my family. I want to live off the grid. I, and you should see these people I come out here, our first ranch hand that came out. Incredible dude. His name's Kayshawn came out here with his family, his seven-year-old boy, three-year-old daughter, little baby. I was torn around the property and we got stuck in the mud. And then we tried to use his Jeep to pull us out and he got stuck in mud. So they were stranded here. So he had to spend the whole weekend out here on the ranch. And because the road guys who had the skid steer and the bulldozer weren't going to be back till Sunday night to pull us out. And this was on Saturday. So we had, he had to spend the night. And he was like, oh, well, God told me not to plan anything. And I, I packed everything. He had pajamas for his kids. Like he was like ready for this. And <laughs> even had farmer. He's going to be he's going to be a yeah. beast. He's going to be the head of the hands is what he's going to be. And uh he, he had his guns in his Jeep because we, we'll have wild hogs and stuff. So we had our guns. We had to walk all the way back to the main house. And oh he's like, well, let me at least accomplish something. He goes and takes our old Suburban that's out here that came with the ranch. They didn't want it. They were like, ah, we don't want that old broken down Suburban. He just rewires it, fixes it. You know, so. What? And then, yeah. And then we get the Suburban running. And we actually tried to tow the cars out that got the Suburban stuck. So then the road guys had to save all the trucks but anyways he was just an incredible dude and you know what he's we're we're creating this new culture because i remember his son was playing our piano over here we got the little instruments and uh mm -hmm. and then he was playing with the blocks he goes uncle uncle i'm already the uncle i don't everyone it's crazy but he goes uncle look him up i know i'm just the, <laughs> the uncle of little g but he's playing with his blocks. He's like, uncle, look at the blocks I built. I was like, oh, wow. Are you, are you going to be an architect when you grow up? He goes, no. I was like, oh, or what are you going to be a rock star? And he's like, no, I don't want to be a rock star. I was like, oh, well, what do you want to be? He's like, I want to be a ranch hand. And I was like, wow. And All that's, right. and we even had another kid in Tennessee with a little cowboy hat. He's like, I want to be a ranch hand. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, and these, that's what we're, we're creating this culture of like these people. It's this community. It's just attracting these people that just want to serve. And it's beautiful. So I think that's my advice to anyone struggling getting labor is like, do it for God and uh, the people, people will come to help you. That's amazing. That is amazing. So it seems like it's there. It's just hasn't been activated, huh? It's also through, I think we're lucky with our Instagram, you know, TJ's built up quite a following. He does these videos that get a lot of posts. So I think a lot of it, that's another thing. It's, it's easier when you're just posting on Indeed. Maybe not everyone's scrolling Indeed, but there's a lot of people scrolling Instagram. So I think a lot of eyes will see us. So then they, it's a little, they, it's desirable. So we do, we do cast a large net with our social media presence. That is a benefit for sure. So you had the benefit of a tremendous education, which granted was self-pursuit and it was multifaceted. It was all over the country. I mean, horses, maple trees, uh, apricot lane, uh, soil inoculation. Uh, you mentioned key line design, uh, permaculture concepts and things uh, like you just, my mind is just spinning with all the things you rattled off. You're obviously in a position given all of that experience, you're in a position to be able to 
you know, speak to that and educate people, but you're also so busy. And you look at this next generation coming in and these ranch hands, how do you think that they're going to be able to have an education in these things? Is it going to be like apprenticeship type learning on the job? Or do you recommend formal learning for people wanting to get into this? I, mean, I guess, I guess I'm asking two questions to this. What do you recommend? And then, cause not everyone can traipse all over the country. Like, I mean, you're, you're pretty I, unique, which is why you are where you are, but then yeah, not, guys growing up too. I mean, talk to me. Yeah. Not everyone wants to go drive their Honda Accord from Massachusetts to Colorado to Minnesota. Definitely not. I, definitely not. I would, I would door dash to make enough cash to uh, get from one adventure to the one farm to the next. <laughs> my my first winter in Minnesota, I was I was so fed up with the negative thirty six degree cold sleeping in the yurt that oh. night that I that night I slept in a little cabin that was even worse than a yurt. But I was <laughs> no offense, my Minnesota family. They the next winter they treated me a lot better, but that that was I had to earn my keep. But I remember I was so sick of the cold, I I hightailed it to Florida, and I I was door dashing. I would door dash along the way to try to make enough cash and did that for one time to Montana I had to DoorDash crash on a couch and DoorDash so I could go to my next farm gig but yeah not everyone's gonna go DoorDash and drive across the country so if you don't want to do that even though it's fun I recommend it <laughs> I'd say I'd say take Joel Saladin's course um he's the farm like a lunatic and he offers a full course take Richard Perkins course you know, Richard there's Perkins is he's this Swedish farmer guy that talks about meat a lot about how to how to rotation graze chickens with chicken tractors and how to make a lot of profit. I mean, he's making six figures over there in Sweden. It's it's pretty remarkable stuff. So I'd say take his course, mm -hmm. check out guy, read the book, The Soil Will Save Us. That's gonna help. That's all about Alan Savory methods. You will understand the concepts. Go to YouTube and watch Gabe Brown, his, his free talks on YouTube. You'll understand the concepts. If you do all that, maybe check out by yourselves, how to grow more vegetables by John Jevons. He'll, that'll get your gardening needs. And then check out Mark Shepard. He's the key line design guru. So if you just go to all the, and the thing is, when you go to these things, they'll leave you a trail of other resources, right? So there's no excuse. You all have everyone, you all have YouTube, you all have internet, go start with Gabe Brown, start with Joel Saladin. Gabe Brown will mention 10 other people who do cover crops and you can go watch their YouTube videos and just go down the rabbit hole until you're at the bottom and you're like, got so much knowledge you're ready to just hop out and do it. So that's one option. The other option, come become a ranch hand. We are doing, well, I mean, it's competitive right now, but we're setting up a whole ranch hand university. So on our Tennessee property, we're going to have a whole adjacent property just for the training ground where we're developing our own course. So, I mean, I'll be training these people out here in Texas. I'm, I'm going to have heads of the, the heads of the hands, but we're bringing in good people. But that's the kind of, you know, I'll be, I'll be the guy, I'll come in. We design the systems. Liam and Juliana design the system. They hand it off to me. I teach the ranch hands how to run the system. They're pretty simple, low-maintenance systems. And I'm probably going to learn more from, from them because they're the ones. I, I have the oversight. I'm the big picture guy. But they, they're going to – they know how to wire Suburbans and – <laughs> well weld they'll be welding chicken tractors like i'm just there with my with my drill trying to create one out of wood they're going to be making aluminum chicken i mean they're going to be outperforming me so um i gotta be be careful they don't replace me but anyways they'll all train all train them they'll run the system i'll assign a head of the hands a head person for each ranch i'll go over to tennessee do it again but eventually We'll have the rant. We're partnering with Southeastern University there in Florida. They have satellite schools all across the country. They're going to have a whole curriculum of prerequisite courses for us with agroecology and soil biology and water resource management. And their students are going to come be ranch hands as juniors and seniors and get college credits. And we're going to have a whole training ground in Tennessee where people that want to be ranch hands and we think they have, we see they have the potential to succeed at it. 
we'll bring them in. We'll train them. You know, we put, we put them up, we feed them for the first six weeks. After that, we pay them. And then after three months, if they make it, we pay them very well, very generously. And then from there, they can keep, they can keep growing. They can become a ranch head. They can go start their own little business. They can go whatever. If they want to go do a alpaca fiber and we'll, we'll let them do that. You know, that's what Joel Saladin does. He, he takes his interns and his best interns. He's like, lets them pitch a project to him of a business he can do and he gives them the money and land to do it so we're, we want to encourage expansion and growth and entrepreneurship but it starts the ground level starts at the ranch hand league ranch hand university but eventually we will have the opportunity for little educational workshops people who maybe don't quite have it in them to be a ranch hand don't want to go all in but they still want to learn and do it on their own small scale they could come out pay a fee, come put them up and teach them how to process chicken out, you know, how to milk a cow, all, all this stuff. And so everyone can learn and we'll be posting online and posting our courses for everyone to observe. So I, as a farmer myself, I can see the value in learning these hands-on skills and these uh, self-sufficiency skills and these, these, these farming skills and ranching skills and things like that. But other people who have kids in college i mean what is what would you what would you say to the parent who was like i don't want to send my kid to a university to get a degree in moving cows around like there seems to be a generational gap between understand like uh, i don't know push for the degree to get the better life to make more money versus going to be a farmer and this sort of like generational look down on agriculture still you still feel that happening yeah, this is going to be a little, this is going to be a little unorthodox, but kids don't listen to your parents. Okay. <laughs> they don't know they're boomers. They grew listen up Uncle in Kelly. the seventies. <laughs> they don't get it. Okay. Do what, yeah. follow your heart. Okay. Take a risk. You're mm-hmm. young. Go, go, go get lost. Go work on a farm. Like go, whatever your heart's calling you to do, go discover yourself and your individuality you can't just oh i mean you know and i i love my father and i i talk to him all the time i talk to him today and he is a great man he's a business owner and i i do wish i had done more to serve him and to honor him at a young age i could have learned a lot more i was a little too rebellious but there does come a time it's a, you know the Tao de Ching, right there's confucius and there's Lao Tzu. You know, and loud Confucius is like, you need to serve your father mm-hmm. and then serve your country. You serve your military and then serve your government. And then you can force everyone to follow the Tao. And then Lao Tzu is like, just follow the Tao. And the outer world will start to reflect your inner self. And I more lean toward the, the Lao Tzu side of like, just go with your inner calling. You can't, you can't always something outside of you isn't gonna isn't always gonna give you the proper guidance so you know i know and but people it is changing you know we just had a kid who was a great not everyone's as rebellious as me i get that you want to have your parents um you know great grace and their their well wish and you want them to support what you're doing and their blessing and you're not always gonna get it so if you can't get it i think go still do it. Don't, they'll be proud of you after I'm telling you by that's what I did. All right. Yeah. They, they always disagree. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But you know what? Now they see me succeeding and they're like, Hey, you did it. Good job. <laughs> you know, they're not going to be <laughs> as long as you work hard and you try, like your parents are going to be proud of you in the end. They're just, they're just concerned, right? Parents are concerned. They want the best for their kids. And, but the world's changing. It's not the same world where everyone wants to just screw each other over like people I think are getting better but you know we just had a kid who he's like young maybe 21 he's running his parents rental properties in California he's running the business he's doing all the maintenance and he told him I'm gonna go be a ranch and they're like we paid for your education you know you gotta you're supposed to be a firefighter like you need to make money well you're gonna go be moving cows like they just didn't respect it they were like this is stupid like you know it's like Mm -hmm. we paid for you to get a 
you know, bachelor's degree. Why are you going to go scrub toilets? It's like that kind of thing. That's how these parents view it. But and I think it's like there's honor in whatever you do. That's as long as you're present in your work, there's honor in any a lot of jobs that are sometimes the the highest paying jobs are the least honorable jobs. So it's but anyways, this his parents saw our USA Today article and he kept convincing them. He showed them the article and then he told them how much money he was going to make. And they're like, OK, you can go. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I think once once they see like they just need to learn more and it's like, oh, they're actually going to because most ranch hands only make 20, 30 K a year. So, yeah, it makes sense that parents wouldn't want their kids signing up for poverty. But, you know, it's we're going to pay our ranch hands a lot, a lot better than that. So they apply and they make it. And these parents are like, oh, well, there actually is a big opportunity here. And then they will have more likely to support it. But even if they don't, you should still do it if you want to. <laughs> I like that. So do you feel like a ranch hand, the people come to want to be a ranch hand with zero experience? I mean, is this something that is typical that you're seeing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mo most First of them. First generation, like agriculture. Most of them. them. Most, most of them. them. Most of them have no experience, but they have applicable experience. They have, if they have welding, carpentry, mechanic mm -hmm. experience, I mean, they're going to do, I can, you can teach them how to, it's pretty easy to, move make an electric fence paddock like i mean there's a lot they have to learn but they're yeah. they're willing to learn i'd rather someone who knows nothing than someone who thinks they know everything oh that's good there's yeah. a lot of farmers out there who who think they know it all and are just get stuck in their ways paying all those high feed and fertilizer mm -hmm. costs i'd rather i'd way rather have some beginner's mind students just wanting to learn you know we can teach them rather than having to make them unlearn everything it's interesting stuff it's definitely something to think about do you feel yeah. like people at a within a certain age are hungry for this is it like 20 somethings that you're seeing or oh everyone's everyone's hungry i mean everyone's we get people up to their 40s 50s and you know it is it is hard because um you know you it's you might have to pick up a goat you know like you do like to be successful at this job you do have to be in a certain place of health and yeah. physicality yeah. Like, it's early mornings every day it's mm -hmm. hard physical labor mm -hmm. so Typically, it is younger, younger people, I'd say between 18 to to 35. Okay. But I mean, hey, if someone's in their 40s or 50s, and they're perfectly physically fit, like I'm like, yeah, send an application, let's do an interview. But it's un uh, unfortunately, it's, you know, because I want to give everyone a shot. But at, at the same time, it's like, I'm like, hey, man, you might you might have to literally wrestle a sheep today. Like we might have to tag the sheep and you have to go, are you going to be able to wrestle a sheep? And it's, you know, maybe there's some things they can do, but it is really, it does, it is a physical job. So we are attracting a younger crowd that is inclined to have more physical labor, but we might like people who use their minds too. I mean, if you can find a more efficient way to do it without working as hard, then, you know, let's do it. I'm, I'm all about that. Hmm. That that's interesting because it it gives people uh, an opportunity to actually not just gain a skill but an identity. I am not just what well, something I do. What do you what do you do versus who are you? Right? Like I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer. I'm a rancher. Right? As opposed to oh, I work for a call center at the power company. You know what do you do? I, I do this. Like who? What do you do? I am a farmer. It's, yeah, it's the coolest, job. it's the coolest identity whenever, I mean, <laughs> it's not always like, it'll, it'll change. It's not like the most romantic, like yet. Cause I have most of my friends mm -hmm. are from, from the past are in the cities working, mm -hmm. selling tech or doing finance. Sure. And when I go get together with them and we're at social gatherings, you know, people are like, what do you do? Please don't tell me you sell tech. Like, and I'm like, no, I'm actually a farmer. And they're like, wow, that's super interesting. <laughs> or I'll be like, I do. I re design regenerative farms. Like, what does that even mean? But then they're like, but then I tell them and they're like, that's cool. But 
you're a little you're a little out there like and you're not very safe i, I think i'll go with the tech salesman after all for now <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that's funny but they've been getting laid off so i'm i'm telling you it's gonna flip it's about to flip fast we just so, yeah i was just gonna say so yeah getting laid off gonna flip um how do you how do you see all of these new farmers and these ranch hands and these these small producers working together for our uh, food systems and for employment? Do you, do you see like a, a scalable future of this? Talk to me a little bit about the big picture. You said you're a big picture guy. Yeah, I mean, the future is small scale. There's resilience and diversity. It's small scale, dispersed all over intertwined webs, locally intertwined economies of scale, but all connected. And that's, you know, acts really, this, this platform is the future because we're going to be so spread out. It's all going to be regenerative, holistic. We're not even vaccinating our animals. Like we're, we're going to be so natural. And then we build out these where we can ship one day shipping out into the hunt 200 mile radius around each farm so there'll be these overlaps and yeah there will be place in between where there's maybe agri hoods and people like you and other other small farms mm -hmm. but you know we want we want if those farm we want to work with those farms too mm -hmm. to help them build their supply chains because i i really think farmers just love being the far starving artist i really do because they just when you're old like they just don't know how to build proper supply chains it's almost like they're gatekeeping their product they're like no this is just for my little community we don't like and there it's all oh you were gonna go to the farmer's market once a week where they what once a week when everyone's at work you want them to come pick up their food and it's like it's just we the future is like these it's direct to consumer it is direct to consumer supply chains i mean i think it's great if you can do pickup locations like what i suggest farmers do go to the yoga studio, go to the church, go to the gym and ask if you can do a pickup location on their busiest day and ask if anyone, people can sign up. But, um, but it's like, and, but there has to be this like online where there's, it's gonna, it's gonna involve technology. I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable where we need, it's, we need to be careful with it, but people, people don't want, the random, I mean, some people do, but most people don't want the random CSA bag of mystery bag. They want to go see what, you're, what they want to see what's in stock, want mm -hmm. to see what you can get and order it. And then, and then either get it shipped directly to them or yeah, it's nice for people to have community. So yeah, go to that pickup location, have a day, have a farm stand, but there, we need to build those local supply chains and have people farmers need to be more connected like i think we're gonna have to have some instagram for you know whatever something for farmers to all connect and uh because we can because you know we when we can grow citrus in florida but we can't grow apples there and we'll need to trade and stuff but it's gonna be there's no the middleman is getting cut out and that's i've seen it with my dad through retail it's just there's no need for a middleman. They just, it takes out the profits and it screws, screws everything up. It's, and hopefully that will shift it toward more of the mystery bag where people do want to more eat seasonally. And it's not just whatever has the longest shelf life and isn't in the highest demand. And people need, there needs to be more, there will be more transparency because people can't, you can't trust. People don't trust what they're eating. There's too many crazy sicknesses that they're like, I don't know how you got sick. And it's like, so people need to know their farmers and you know what they're eating and need to have community, have local supply chains. So that's the future. I mean, I think it's going to, I, I'm not a fortune teller. I know that's what it's going to be. I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, but I know that we're acts, we're going to play a huge part in that and whatever we can't, can't hit uh, other agri hoods and small farms are going to fill in those, those gaps. And we need to all, be in cahoots with each other. We need to have transparency. We need to have connection. We need to build out these local diversified many supply chains because this whole big global food system is way too fragile and we need more resilience in our economy and our ecology and our communities, period. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more when it comes to fragility. There's just in time everything. And when it comes to the middleman, the middleman is adding the value of processing things. So to cut out the middleman, that also requires the consumer, the end the end eater, if you will, um, to be willing to start with a raw ingredient, not a box from the freezer, right? Not something that you just heat and eat, but they, it, it requires them to learn how to start with a whole chicken and three potatoes and you know, carrots, onions, and celery, and make a soup out of that. And that's, yeah. that's a lost skill. That's something, I mean, I'm 52 years old, right? My mom is a boomer. So my parents were, and my, my friends, my age, all their mothers were of the, the bra burning, get out of the, get out of the kitchen. Don't give her a Cuisinart for, you know, a gift or it's demeaning. I mean, mm. people, even my age did not grow up. I, I, I was fortunate. My mother was always a, a scratch cook. But a lot of people my age and even the next gen, you know, gen, um, I'm Gen X, so like Y and even Z, they did not learn how to cook from scratch from their parents. Mm, yeah. They did not learn that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that yeah. that is a beautiful like art form that there's so much opportunity for educational workshops and so oh, many yeah. people are going to be interested. But mm -hmm. I think processing is the thing that it needs to get back in the hands of the farmers because most people, most people, they're not in this age of technology is that we're getting lazier and lazier. The Gen Z is not going to pluck chickens and they're likely not. So yeah, but also we can't have these, whatever FDA FISMA processing facilities where you have to spray bleach on the meat just to sell it either. That's, that's not cool. So, um, yeah, where there's, we're going to go through a huge transition transition where acts, people like us and other small farms, there's people out doing it in Utah. All farmers need to come together, pool their resources and put up processing facilities. Gabe Brown and them just did one in North Dakota. Nice. We need to have our own processing facilities and it's pretty simple. The, that's, and that's really, but that's owned by the farmers so that these farmers send it to their co-op owned processing facility mm -hmm. and then it gets and then fedex and ups can ship it from there to the people to start or eventually you know we can start mm -hmm. the farmers have now their own co-op owned distribution um you know equipment trucks but it really dry ice is a game changer too i mean you can buy dried ice at anywhere that sells welding equipment so, but they'll do it with you. That's what we're going to do. So it's just, you know, there's, it's so expensive to free refrigerated trucks. So that's the key. You just, we just need enough far farms all over the country, mm -hmm. processing facilities everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then so that the, from each place they can distribute out with dry ice, um, those, those, that food, that product to all the cities and whoever within, you know, 200 mile radius. Of each one and that's what our country was designed for we're supposed to be a bunch of farms all interconnected that's that's the whole that's kind of like what america was designed to be yeah it's it's interesting the uh interconnectedness of small farmers kind of flies in the face of the current um monoculture giant ag that's cutthroat competitor and buying up the little guys and consolidation yeah. centralization yeah we can't play the game to work together we can't play their game. Everyone's try been trying to play their game that they designed. And these farmers are like, oh, well, I got to compete with the price of corn. Oh, you mean the price of corn that the government like set that they subsidize. So it's super cheap. And then they like own the same person that runs that campaign owns that farm. It's like you're not going to win their game. You're just going to be go digging yourself into debt. Don't play their game. Don't try to compete with the commodity prices that they set up to be insanely low and also consumers mm. stop looking at that as consumers need to get educated and realize there's a hidden cost. There's the tragedy of the commons. There's not, that doesn't make sense. The corn is not that cheap. You're paying it with, with taxes. You're, you're paying with it for your health costs you're paying it with your, the environment. It's so it's people need to realize what, that this cheap oh it's so cheap it's all the commodity prices that needs to end and people need to start investing more in their food and farmers need to stop competing on price and start competing on quality
Yeah, there's definitely a price to be paid. I mean, the UN said, I'm not into following the UN or believing everything they say, obviously, but um, they said that we have a couple of years ago, they said we had 60 harvests left before our soils are fully depleted. I mean, look at the price of fertilizer. Our, our current system has to change. It has to. It's not going to. Yeah, I mean, topsoil top soil has been insanely depleted um, in the Midwest, but yeah. where there's so much abundance, I mean, it's there's just it's always the opportunity to rebuild like you have buckwheat you have rye you have mm -hmm. you know all these grasses that just shoot out roots every time you graze them like you can you can, if, if alan savory you can go re-green the desert all over the world amazing like we we can yeah like don't don't fear monger me at un and tell me that i need oh they're like oh you need a give up all your rights and freedom because you're going to destroy yourself soon. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's a lot of like things that need to be addressed, but that's more, you guys need to just stop doing that. It's not like my individual choices. It's no, it's like these massive corporations that do like huge levels of decimation and strip mining and destruction. Like that's, that's the issue. Not like if I take a five minute, 10 minute shower or if I carpool to work or not. <laughs> I don't think cow farts are what's uh causing our society's ills. Yeah, there's more. I think wetlands <laughs> cause more methane emissions than cow farts. And yeah, come on. Cow people. And then it's like rotational grazing, Alan Savory has proved, is the number one thing that sequesters carbon is these pastures. So that's reversing climate change. Because I studied environmental science. I'm like, I'm. you can't fool me. That's when it's funny when people, when I, I can't go into cities because I get too many dogmatic, self-righteous people that are like, you eat meat like you're evil and i try I'm, and they're like or they're like oh you don't care and i'm like no i do because when i when you holistically graze a pasture that pasture has a thousand species right that's so much life and when you monocrop soy that's only one species one genetically modified species and that's actually causing a lot of death in the soil and in the ecosystem highly unnatural yeah, we need to get get back to the the way God intended it, and just kind of be be shepherds and stewards. But I get it. I mean, I've I was I, you know, I read the Bhagavad Gita. I was vegetarian. I've been I've been on both sides of it, and now I realize it's also polarized. And just getting us to kind of go against each other, it's like we need to just come together in harmony and be like, let's just be stewards of this land and just grow food in a way that replenishes the land. And that is holistic livestock management. It's permaculture. And that's what we got to do. And then just build those communities around it. So we can have that lifestyle being actually, you know, and not people you I see building full of thousand people where no one knows each other. It's like, they're so, we're so isolated and all our screens. And it's like, we need to start looking each other in the eye and like seeing each other as embodied souls and children of God and living together and, and farming together and eating together and praying together. That's what we got to do before it's too late, before we, before we forget entirely. <laughs> do, you, do you think this is a model that can be scaled across the country and it really can feed the big cities? It's the only model that can. The only, yeah, the monocrops is just digging, it's just digging itself deeper. It's just, you're just, they're just borrowing, they're just borrowing from future generations. So that's not, it's not sustainable. It cannot, this is the only way that we can feed the, and yeah, you can feed massive populations with regenerative farm, with bio-intensive market mm -hmm. gardening. Mm -hmm. I've, fed, I've fed the whole school and the whole community of Burlington with like not the whole but like a lot of them I grow a lot of kale and brassicas and collard greens and corn and watermelon and okra and I did it all in like an acre you can you can grow a lot of food on a small amount of space for a lot of people very you just got to have the right design the right implementation and operation of that well, Clay, you have certainly thrown a lot out there in a short amount of time. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and I know you've got your ranch hands coming, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, how can people follow your work and learn more? And is there any closing things you want to say? 
Yeah, I mean, I, thanks for having me. I love I love talking about this stuff. Sorry if I get too fired up, you know, <laughs> I get excited. But talking to you is drinking from the fire hose for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it's great talking to you, Judith. I mean, this is great. And I love I love to hear what you're doing. And I just hope we stay connected, stay in cahoots. And uh, yeah, you can people can follow me on Instagram farm number four farm four infinity um i post a lot of content about all the animals and all the farm stuff i'm doing um and then you know just follow genesis homesteads on instagram follow axe d real on instagram and you know you can check out the websites axe genesishomesteads.com wanted and just keep in the loop and keep up with us and hopefully we'll we can chat again in the future and talk talk about you know how things are going as as this whole whole dream unfolds and comes into fruition all right all righty